welcome to our Pro Talks podcast, where we chat with CEOs and founders of some of the most interesting and influential asset management companies in the world. When I started in the sector back in the 1980s, there were several very bright female analysts at the CCF. And I would have thought that in 30 years, female representation in the industry would be a lot higher. Today, we are here with Sharon Bentley Hamlin, founder of Aubrey Capital. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Sharon. Thank you, Patricia, for inviting me. It's an honor and a pleasure. Fantastic. So so just to start like a little bit with the conversation, Sharon, can we tell us a bit about yourself and what's your background and, and how did you end up in the financial sector? Well, I ended up in the financial sector by accident rather than by design. I had no thought of working in finance, either at school or university. I studied history and languages, but my real passion was music. Initially, I wanted to be a concert pianist and subsequently an opera singer. And I did sing semi-professionally for a number of years. Now, in order to subsidize my vocal training abroad, I used to take temporary secretarial work around London, working for a huge variety of different businesses. I had also bought a small flat on a variable rate mortgage And in the late 1980s, interest rates spiked to around 17%. And I realized that if I was going to pay the mortgage uh, bill monthly, I would have to get a full-time job. The most interesting work I had done temping was working in the mergers and acquisitions department of CCF, that's Crédit Commercial de France, which is now part of HSBC. So I called them and asked if they would give me a job. And I spent the next year typing up their analysts' reports on acquisition candidates. I found the work interesting, and I took the entry qualification to work in the industry, the registered representative's exam, and started to do some of the analytical work myself. However, I quickly realized that I would need to get further qualified if I was going to progress. So I applied to do the MBA course at Edinburgh University, because it could be completed there in a year rather than in two or three with other business schools. And when I graduated, I still had thoughts of doing something in the arts, maybe running a music festival or an opera house, but nothing materialized. And after a year of looking for a job, I finally got offered an analyst position at Walter Scott and Partners, an Edinburgh fund manager. One of the reasons they took me on to do European equities was that I spoke the languages, French, Italian, German, and a bit of Spanish and Russian, all the languages one needs for classical singing. And in those days, when you went to interview senior management in Europe, particularly with smaller companies, it was not a given that they would speak English. So it really was a door opener if you could converse in their language. Having a cultural affinity with the people one was speaking to was also a great help. I have never felt nearly as much confidence interviewing Japanese or Asian management teams, for instance. The same would be true for the U.S. companies, in fact. The way they do business and the way they speak about their businesses are just different. So... After all you, so it sounds like it sounds a really interesting um, story, like going from opera singer to, to having your own asset management company. So how did you end up having your own asset management company? How did you start, like, how did you decide uh, to start your own uh, asset management company? 
Well, again, this came about more by accident than design. Though having said that, I'd always harbored a desire to run my own show because I felt I could deliver better investment performance for clients in an independent self-owned business. And this has absolutely proven to be the case. Our European strategy is currently ranked by CityWire number one over three years, number two over five years, and number three over 10 years out of the near 600 strategies they monitor. That track record would never have been possible to achieve as an employee in a larger firm. The trigger for leaving Walter Scott, though, I could not really have foreseen and it was that the founder decided to sell the business to Mellon Financial Corporation, which is now part of the Bank of New York. I decided that I did not want to be a wage slave to a large US corporation. So I decided to join forces with individuals from another Edinburgh investment boutique that had lost its independence to a large bank and form a new company, Aubrey. So starting your own asset management uh, company seems like a, a big adventure as well. And So in terms of your management, you said you didn't want to be part of like a large, uh, like a large American corporation. So how would you define your your management and style and, and how would you describe the, the culture at, at Aubrey Capital? Well, the culture at Aubrey is very collaborative and you can get that sense of collaboration in a small firm. It's much more difficult in a larger firm. I was fortunate when we started that my new partners were also growth stock investors, so our investment approach was completely aligned from the start. We only invest in companies that can self-finance growth of at least 15% per annum. And on the investment team, we're all analysts. The style is very, the management structure is very flat. We're all analysts, um, though with each of the three separate strategies that we run, which are global, European and emerging market equities, the lead portfolio manager takes the final decision as to whether a stock is bought or sold and the timing of it. But we develop the investment ideas as a team. We all meet with the company managements and there is active discussion over portfolio optimization. I would say that the style is very active. We're constantly looking for ideas outside the portfolio that might give us more performance upside than what we already hold. This leads to relatively high turnover. Although we have held some positions for a decade or more, the typical holding period is three years. We think our value added is in finding stocks which are under-researched and under-owned and therefore offer value. A typical stock would be ASML, the lithography company, which appears in many growth portfolios today, but which we acquired over seven years ago before most people were at all interested. The style is also very focused. Our stringent financial criteria reduce the European investment universe of 3,000 companies with a market capitalization over 500 million euros down to a watch list of 150 companies. And our portfolio of 30 to 40 companies is the best picks portfolio of the best growth to valuation combinations that we can find. These are really quite special companies. And the portfolio consequently looks very different to the index. And the performance has been at least 80% driven by stock selection rather than by sector or geographic allocation. Um, in terms of like, so um, in terms of um, a gender, gender wise, um, I'm, I'm just thinking like, 
um, it's very like, I think we have like more women and working in the industry at the moment, but um, looking at you as well, like with all your experience, uh, do you think that we are still uh, missing some women in the fund, I mean, in fund management positions? And why do you think this, this might happen? Well, I think uh, definitely uh, there is a shortage of women in the industry. Um, we very much run a culture based on meritocracy at Aubrey. And we not only value women, but we value people from different backgrounds as well. Uh, when we started as a global growth stock manager, the emphasis was very much on the global aspect. And so we had analysts from India, from Argentina, several from China and the Philippines. And those included a lot of women, I might say. And the majority were women from those countries. Um, and in terms of current female representation, we have three women out of a seven-strong investment team and many more in the middle office in marketing and administration. So um, we are very well represented um, in terms of women in, in our company, but it is absolutely a meritocracy still. Um, why are there too few women in the industry Well, CityWire in the UK released something called um, the Alpha Female Report. They produce this annually. And the latest edition reported that only 11% of the funds that they monitor are run by women. And that was up from 10% the previous year. So not much change in a year. I only became aware of this report in the last two or three years because I was cited in it. But I found it quite astonishing because when I started in the sector back in the 1980s, there were several very bright female analysts at the CCF. And I would have thought that in 30 years, female representation in the industry would be a lot higher. It never occurred to me that this was a particularly male line of work, but I've come to understand why that might be. Firstly, um, at my previous house, the management style was intellectually aggressive which doesn't suit everyone, least of all women. My understanding is that that's not unusual in investment management firms. I'm talking about a culture where those who shout the loudest get their ideas implemented. We have striven to avoid this sort of confrontational attitude at Aubrey, where ideas are thrashed out between proponents and opponents. We prefer to let ideas evolve And if some of us are not certain about a company, we wait on the logic of events before going into it. We feel there's a time and a price for everything. Now, the second reason that women don't reach portfolio manager status so easily is the obvious one of maternity breaks. It usually takes at least a decade to accumulate the experience. You have to have invested through one up and one down cycle at a minimum. You also have to be full-time, not part-time, to be a portfolio manager, though remote working allows for more flexibility now around childcare, which can only be a good thing. The third reason is that fewer women go into the industry. There is generally a lack of awareness among young women of the employment possibilities in the financial sector and that it is not all about trading rooms, as in the film Wall Street. This is something we are trying to address at Aubrey by participating as mentors for a program run by an organization called Future Asset, which endeavors to encourage schoolgirls to take an interest in investment, including participation in an investment competition. This year, 
62 teams from 44 schools in Scotland participated. And that included around 250 girls who might not otherwise have had the exposure. And the fourth reason, which is perhaps more controversial, I believe that in Anglo-Saxon culture, there's a subconscious bias in favor of men when it comes to managing money, whether within firms or from external allocators and from both sexes. Men are viewed as having more gravitas, even if there's no reason to suppose that they have any more natural talent. And why I believe this is an Anglo-Saxon thing is that it is not the same in Chinese culture. One of my colleagues, who has a private banking background in Hong Kong, says that over half her colleagues there were women. And in my husband's family, which is part Chinese, it was considered perfectly normal for the women to manage the family finances, and they were very good at it. Not so much in Western culture. The myth, I believe, still persists that men make the money and women spend it. So I think those are the reasons, they're good reasons why it's been so slow to get women into the industry. I, I guess as well, like in terms of, um, uh, for the last bit that you said, I guess like the fact that um, women were not allowed to have an, their own bank account until 20th century, sometimes it makes you think like the access to money or the access to the industry um, could have been delayed as well because of that. But I found like the reasons like really, really interesting. And I and I wasn't aware of the differences between the, the the East and the West. So I find that fascinating. So I was going to ask you as well, like, um, uh, how do you think we could um, attract more people into the sector? But I think uh, the future assets, um, um, I think that you are participating. I think that is, that is really interesting and it's a really nice way to to make uh, little girls to have an understanding of the industry and about uh, motivating them as well and giving some um, some ideas of how they can um, get into the industry. So, so I think that's really nice. So, apart from from all this all this part of work and coming back as well to uh, your opera singer side, uh, do you have any other interest or how do you spend? your time out of work? Do you still like music or do you do any other things? Well, I, I still sing a bit and I sometimes conduct a choir um, locally in my um, village. But apart from singing, my other great passion is horses. And I've started to breed thoroughbred and warm blood horses. And these are a great antidote to the world of investment as they devour copious amounts of feed and money <laughs> and they are a great incentive for doing everything we can to continue generating great investment returns for our clients. Now, interestingly, you might think this is a distraction from investment, but our highest returning stock, which has delivered over a thousand percent for clients in just over three years, came about through my equestrian connection because oh, wow. the company produces a protective inner lining for crash helmets. And I own one. Now, of course, riding helmets are only a very small part of their business. Other sports such as cycling and motorsports are a much larger part of it. But it was that introduction that gave me the initial idea. That's really that's a really nice way to connect your hobbies with uh, with business. I guess it's um, yeah, and I really like horses as well. So I think it's quite traditional as well in the um, 
in the UK, right? You you have horses and and have um and have a, like a fun interest on on horses and riding. Um, do you have any any advice for anyone wanting to start a career in finance? Just like as a last question for the for the conversation. Yes. Um, firstly, ask yourself if you're really interested in businesses and how they work, because that's at the core of it. You have to be interested in the companies. Uh, then I would say you should read as much as you can about investment, learn the basics of accounting, and try to get qualified off your own bat. And then as a woman, don't think that you can have it all. Obviously, there are some very successful women in fund management who appear to have it all, but I think it's unrealistic for most of us. And I suppose my best piece of advice was um, to women would be to not put off settling down and having a family until it's too late, even if it means career sacrifices short term. Because I feel that if you can get the basics early on, there will be opportunities for going back to it later. I think that's a really interesting advice, and I think it's quite true for, especially for women. Um, sometimes um, we all make sacrifices to get some things um, or, or another. And, and yeah, I mean, as you said, um, yeah, if you can, I don't know, you can try to to have it all, or you can't. So, yeah. Um, so thank you so much for being here with us today, Sharon. Um, it was lovely chatting with you and hope you have enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much, Jean Patricia. It's been very interesting speaking to you today. And, and yeah, and for anyone else um, listening, um, stay tuned and we will be back in two weeks. And please follow us on social media. And Sharon is speaking and uh, thank you so much. And um, yeah.